Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 133 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, now, uh, also, if you want to keep up with all the release dates, uh, the, you know, when we go on a break, uh, the, 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 the episode titles, any announcements basically regarding the podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Delving Into Islam Podcast. Again, Delving Into Islam Podcast. Uh, now, uh, this podcast is literally for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim all of your life and just want to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you inshallah now before we get into today's topic for those who are wondering you know uh, since we were talking about the major signs of the day of judgment what happened in terms of like the title you know the unmotivated muslims and they're wondering what happened so i mentioned this before uh, that you know even sometimes i have topics prepared uh, ahead of time and we have you know i want to call it a scheduled kind of you know uh topics to talk about sometimes we we pause and you have to address critical things important things and and if i receive an email with a a question that i believe is 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 critical to address now um and i cannot wait until you know i'm done with the, the whole series of the major signs then i you know we have to do that inshallah because at the end of the day the the idea or the the purpose of the podcast is number one to share alhamdulillah my knowledge with all of you guys and everybody who's interested but number two is also to kind of help fix our community if there is an issue with it or help you know get people who are even outside of islam to get them you know the right idea about islam or to get them facts regarding islam so all these things so basically it's for the greater good of all of us may allah accept from me and accept from you for listening so something like this and like today's topic i it was not just one person who emailed me about this it was multiple people who talked to me in person and i'm going to mention the situations that you know where that took place uh regarding uh, Muslims who are unmotivated, they don't feel motivated to, you know, keep up with the acts of worship and all these things. And this is critical. Again, if you have a Muslim who's not motivated, someone who's not motivated to do the acts of worship, to pray, to fast, to do certain things, then we have a problem. And that problem needs to be addressed and, and needs to be fixed, inshallah, so, you know, we can go back, you know, get back on track and keep up with, the, you know, our our acts of worship keep up with our you know trying to get closer to allah with gaining knowledge and all these things so to me this is critical that we had to pause and uh again it's it's all about addressing certain things that are important but inshallah don't worry once we're done and i believe there's another thing that we will talk about and but i'll leave that to later inshallah before we get back on track uh with the major signs and again it's not going anywhere alhamdulillah we will keep talking about it as uh, until we you know finish all the major signs now today's topic 
comes to us from, like I said, I've actually talked to um, multiple uh, individuals, uh, Muslims, uh, in person. And uh, uh, basically, one time I uh, went, uh, alhamdulillah, I went to an Islamic school to give a lecture to the youth. Uh, it was a brief rec- lecture, like an hour and a half, to basically uh, to teach them how to become leaders in, in, in Islam and, and what are they missing for them, you know, to become leaders uh, in, for example, a non-Muslim country, right? Uh, and to be a representative, you know, representatives of Islam uh, with non-Muslims and how to, you know, show leadership and all these things. And uh, we got to the section of the Q&A and then I had one of the, you know, uh, uh, the students there who, who basically asked me, uh, because we were talking about Islam and why Islam makes sense and all these things. And he said, I believe everything you said. However, still, I'm not motivated to do anything. I'm not motivated to fast. And that was, by the way, in, uh, during this this past Ramadan. And he was like, I'm not motivated. I, I don't know. Praying, I know it's the right thing to do. I know I have to pray. I know that, you know, Allah wants me to pray, but I still, uh, I, I pray, but I'm, I'm, I'm unmotivated. I can't, I can't, like, I don't feel excited about praying. I don't feel anything coming from my five daily prayers, at least. I don't feel anything coming from my fasting. Um, and also, uh, one of our listeners by the name of Maryam, uh, Maryam, she also told me that, you know, and again, that was uh, during Ramadan, she basically told me that, again, she feels unmotivated she feels like uh, you know ramadan is coming and we all know that you know every night in ramadan allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives a certain number of muslims worshipers believers who you know observe ramadan the right way and she felt like she was missing out on that and she was not motivated to do that and she knows it was wrong she even told me like in the email like i i know this is bad i know this is not how it's supposed to be and and it it scared her it's like again being unmotivated is something that should scare any muslim right any muslim who uh, truly cares and, and and by the way being scared and I'm, we'll get we'll address that inshallah is a good sign like i'm telling maryam right now being scared is a beautiful sign because some people are oblivious some people are unmotivated but they don't even care they don't feel it they don't feel that there's something missing in their life and they keep on with their lives away from islam and they drift away from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they keep on you know drifting away from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until they just completely you know stop practicing they stop believing and they stop a lot of things and they still don't feel it so yeah the idea that you know the brother who asked me brother adam i believe his name was adam and maryam and many people like that are, i honestly don't remember the names but many people would say i don't feel like i am motivated that the, the questioning itself them questioning themselves and the questioning their own belief and their own iman is a great sign of iman of belief and we will address that inshallah as well so let's let's talk about that let's talk about motivation in islam and how to you know address people who are not motivated right and how this could potentially be a catastrophe but if we can fix it we can understand it we can you know try to work with this issue it could be a great thing as a matter of fact and uh you know and this happened to probably almost all of us i want to say to almost all of us at a certain point in time we were unmotivated to you know do our muslim kind of 
acts of worship, to perform, uh, you know, our acts of worship, to do certain things when it comes to Islam. And we feel like even if we do, like if, if we're doing them, we feel nothing about them. And some people, because they keep on doing certain things, like for example, praying five times a day without feeling it, without knowing the significance of it, without, you know, understanding why this is so special. Basically, they're unmotivated. They best, they just do it for the sake of, you know, I was raised that I have to do it or otherwise something bad is going to happen. They keep doing it until they actually stop. Many of them stop doing what they're doing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they're unmotivated. They don't know what, what's going on. So let me give you an example. I want to give you a life example. Uh, that we can inshallah try to understand and and try to you know extrapolate from it something beneficial let's start let's say that you are an employee for example working for any company okay now what motivates you as an employee like you know the 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 cliche uh question what wakes you up in the morning you know, what makes you motivated every single day? What drives you, you know, uh, every single day? And the question is, and you will ask any, and by the way, this is a very standard answer because it applies to everyone. You'll find one of three answers, one of three answers, or maybe all three together. The first answer is if, for example, talking about that employee, that the employee love, they love their work. They love their work. They love their job. They love going there. They love spending time there. They love doing their work. So that is the first. It's out of pure passion, pure love. And that's what many people call passion. I am passionate about my work. That's why I get up every morning and, you know, very excited to go to work. And that's it. So that's number one. Number two, people who are uh, want to get paid. <laughs> that simple. The paycheck. I do it for the sake of the paycheck. So, you know, it's a, a very good motivation. You know, I, I want to have my own money, my own wealth. I want to have a family. I want to, you know, my my family to grow. I want to buy a house. I want to buy a car. I want to do certain things. I want to have money. You know, it's a very halal. And of course, we're talking about it in a halal way, but it's a very halal goal to have, right? As long as it's, again, coming from halal sources. So that is number two. So number one is being passionate about your job as an employee, loving your job. Number two is wanting rewards, wanting to get paid, right? Number three is afraid to get fired. You don't want to get fired. That's why you go to work every day. You don't want to get fired because if you got fired, you're going to lose your job and you're going to struggle and it's going to be a problem. So you're going to lose the money that you want in the first place and you don't want to do that. So one of three reasons, and I believe, uh, and again, I could be wrong, they may be a fourth reason, but in my opinion, those three reasons are the main reasons, or one of them at least, is the, the, the most critical factor for an employee to go to their job or do their job, being passionate about it, loving it in the first place, getting paid to get that paycheck, or afraid to get fired. Don't want to be unemployed, basically. So you want to work anything and you do your best to be motivated at it to get that paycheck and never get fired. Three things make sense. Now, some people might have the three uh, points of motivation. These three points that we talked about. Some people might have all three. Some people might love their job so much. They also want to get paid and they're afraid to be fired. They're afraid to be unemployed. It makes perfect sense. Now, for a Muslim, motivation is almost the same thing. 
Being passionate about Islam, loving Islam, loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet وسلم, and doing everything for the sake of Allah. You want to please Allah. That's your passion right there. You want to please Allah as a Muslim, right? So that is number one. Number two is you want to get paid. You want that reward, right? You want Jannah. You want paradise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So you do your what you do as a Muslim to be rewarded uh, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You pray five times a day. You do that. You perform hajj if you can. You you know pay zakah. You're good to your parents. You're good to your spouse. You're good to your community. You're, you, you, know, you fast Ramadan. You do all the good things, right? You stay away from sins because you want to be rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, that is number two. Number three is afraid of hellfire. That simple. You're being afraid. You don't want to commit sins. You don't. You want to actually pray five times a day because if you, because you know that if you don't, you're gonna be. You know, you're you're most likely gonna end up being in hellfire if you just simply don't want to pray and you don't pray until the day you die, right? So you do things to avoid hellfire. You don't want to be thrown in hellfire. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talks about hellfire a lot. As you know, He talks also about Jannah a lot, paradise a lot, and you know. Both, and you want to avoid one, and you want to gain one. So avoiding hellfire will be the third reason, or the third motivation, or the reason for your motivation to do what you do as a Muslim. Now, the ideal Muslim, and, and listen to this very carefully, the ideal Muslim, the believer, you know, those who are, you know, the best of the Muslims, would have the three, uh, the three boosts or the three motivation points that we just talked about. They're doing it for the sake of Allah. They want to please Allah for no gains. They just want to please Allah. They understand who Allah is. They understand, they, they, they studied the seerah. They know who the Prophet ﷺ was and they want to do it for the sake of Allah than the Prophet ﷺ. Number two, they want to also get rewarded. There's nothing wrong with combining these two. Yes, I'm doing it for the sake of Allah, but I also want some of that, you know, reward that Allah talked about and always talks about in the Quran. Jannah, paradise. Jannah that it's Allah SWT described as massive compared to this universe that we live in, to this life, to this earth. It's You can't even compare the size, right? And it's all made and prepared for those who have conscience of Allah SWT, for those who are believers. It's prepared for them, meaning it's 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 being, you know, beautified and prepared to, to, to you know, when... Um, you're inviting people when you have people coming over to your house what do you do you organize the house you clean it up and you prepare the house basically for your guests right Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying it's being prepared for the guests and we're not inshallah we're not going to be guests if we get to Jannah may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all from those who enter paradise and enter Jannah we're not going to be guests it's going to be our home so Allah's preparing our homes for us for eternity Allah is like you prepare your home for your guests. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is letting all the angels prepare Jannah for you. Prepare paradise so you can enjoy it to the fullest extent and never get bored of it for eternity. That is the reward that every Muslim should be looking for at least. Now, that is number two. Number three is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like we said, told us that there is a severe punishment if you do not follow certain commands, there are certain things that are mandatory. There are certain sins that if you commit, yeah, that's a problem. Now, we're not talking about repentance. Repentance comes after. But we're talking about if somebody did not repent, somebody did not care, drifted away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yeah, then Allah promised as much as he promised Jannah to the believers, to the muttaqeen, to those who have conscience of Allah. He also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised 
hellfire and punishment, severe punishment to those who disobey Allah willingly, of course. So now you can also combine that. So there's nothing wrong with combining all three. There's nothing wrong with wanting to please Allah while wanting to enter paradise and afraid, being afraid of hellfire. There's nothing. Actually, this is the best type of believers. Because why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention and describe Jannah and paradise for us in the Quran? Why would the Prophet ﷺ describe Jannah in his sunnah? Why? To give us some sort of incentive. This is what's waiting for you if you follow Allah's commands. If you become a good Muslim, a good human being in general, right? Now, why would Allah also mention hellfire? Why? For us to be afraid so we... Allah's not trying to... Here's the interesting part. Allah mentioning hellfire is not trying to scare us for the sake of scaring us. There's a reason why Allah wants to scare us from hellfire so we can avoid it, so we can do our best to avoid it. So we stop sinning, so we do good deeds and we increase our good deeds and we do the mandatory stuff. That's why Allah wants to scare us every time he mentions hellfire. Some people, it works and that's what it should work because Allah is not just also scaring us. Allah is saying, this is my promise to you. This is my warning. If you do this, you're going to go to hellfire. Allah is trying to scare the believers from committing sins so they don't enter hellfire. But however, if, if we don't get scared, if we don't care, if we are oblivious, Allah will fulfill his promise, which is he will punish us in the hellfire. Same thing when it comes to paradise, inshallah. So again, the ideal believer is someone who has all three qualities, all three emotions, all three feelings, all three uh, boosts, or you know, all three motivations. Basically, these are the things that motivate you to be a better Muslim. And there is a reason why Allah mentions this for us to be motivated. Because otherwise, why are we working for the hereafter if we don't know what's in the hereafter? Am I correct? If you don't know what's waiting for you, whether it's a punishment or whether it's a reward. If you don't know what's the reward, then you wouldn't want it. And if you don't know what is the punishment, you wouldn't be scared of it. So Allah mentions paradise and hellfire for a reason. And the main reason, literally, wallahi, the main reason for us to be motivated to be better Muslims. Now, if we analyze, for example, let's take the, the, the passion and the love, for, for example, like the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the love for the Prophet, وسلم, the love for Islam as a religion. You know, subhanAllah, it starts with realizing, re, you want to realize something. In order for you to love something, right, you realize what it is, you identify it, then appreciate what it is, then you love what it is. So, for example, for example, Let's say that you read a book and you love that book so much. First of all, you have to identify what is this book for. You know, before you uh, you start reading it, what is it about, right? And then you start when you read, you start appreciating. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Oh, I love the philosophy. I love this. I love that. You appreciate it. Then when you're done, you end up loving it. And that goes for anything. Think about it this way. You will never love something or someone without knowing them. That's why when we talked about the biography of the Prophet wasallam, what did I say? You'll never love the Prophet wasallam without knowing his life, without, without knowing how he lived his life. It doesn't make sense. You cannot love someone without knowing them. Am I correct? I don't think I'm wrong about that. You will never fall in love with someone. Like let's say you fall in love with your spouse. You know, when you first meet your spouse for the first time in 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 a, in a you know in a very appropriate setting, 
you don't fall in love with them. You might like their character, yes. But you don't leave after meeting them for like half an hour or so and be like, I'm in love with that person. You can't. It doesn't make sense. You'll be lying to yourself. Love comes when you realize a person, when you understand them, when you appreciate them for what you know, what they do or their personality or whatever, then love becomes. This could happen fast, by the way. I'm not saying this could take years or months even. This could happen, but this process itself must happen for you to love something. So for example, to learn about the Prophet ﷺ, to love the Prophet ﷺ, you need to learn about him, who he was. What did he do? Then when you realize what he did, that's the identification part there. When you realize what he did, you start appreciating it. The Prophet ﷺ used to stand hours and hours every single night in the prayers of the Hajjud, every single night for our sake. So he can make dua to Allah on a day of judgment for Muslims to not spend eternity in hellfire. He made dua for the believers who will come after him, which is us, my dear brothers and sisters, by the way. When he cried one day, cried one day, he was sitting with the companions and started crying. And the companions said, what happened, O Prophet Allah? What, what's going on? Why are you crying? He said, I'm crying for my beloved ones. So they said, what, what, why, what, what, what did we do? What's going on? He said, no, 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 no. You are my companions. You are my companions. Which in Arabic translates to my beloved ones are the ones who will come after me, generations after me without seeing me, without seeing you. And they will believe in me through the books, through the hadith, through the Quran, which is us. He's talking about us. The Prophet ﷺ cried for our sake and they will completely believe in me. I make dua to Allah for them to be basically forgiven. Imagine, the Prophet can't wait to see us on the Day of Judgment, he said. Cannot wait to see us. Now, if you don't know any of this, how would you love the Prophet ﷺ if you don't know any of these situations? If you don't know how merciful he was as a human being, if you don't know how kind he was, how forgiven he was, and how strict of a believer he was. He used to pray. Prayers was the most important thing in the life of the Prophet ﷺ in terms of, you know, the acts of worship. If you didn't know any of this, how would you love him? Do you understand? Like you need to know the person. You need to know the thing that you are supposed to fall in love with for you to fall in love with. Now, Allah that goes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you don't know who Allah is, how would you love Allah and do things for the sake of Allah? Because if you don't know that Allah is capable of anything, Allah's forgiveness is vast in a way beyond your own imagination. How would you love Allah? Like, and we I always mention this example when I say what? So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts our repentance, we also forget that he is the one who taught us how to repent. Some might say this, and I actually had a, a very interesting conversation with a fellow Muslim who told me, well, why should I be thankful that Allah taught me how to pray? You know what I mean? Why would I be thankful that Allah taught me how to pray? That Allah taught me how to repent. That Allah gave me limbs, eyes, legs, hands to do worship. Why? Because we always say we have to be thankful for what, everything that Allah gave us. The things we recognize and the things we do not recognize. You know, like in the chapter of Nahl, verse number 18, Allah subhanahu wa said what? If you want to count the blessings of Allah, you won't be able to count it from the, 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 the sheer number of, like you can't even count or comprehend the number of blessings Allah gave you. You cannot count it. You cannot comprehend the number of blessings because every little thing Allah gave you is a blessing. We just don't recognize it. Some of those blessings, things we recognize, 
and some we don't even recognize. Something like, you know, having a cup of Allah allowing you, Allah allowing you, you know, to drink uh, a little bit of coffee, you know, whatever, water, the day after Ramadan. One day after Ramadan. Allah is, because guess what? Here's the interesting part about some little situation like this. Some people can't find food, can't find water for months. And they, you know, they, they live on the tiniest bit of food and water. That's how they survive. But you come after Ramadan and you have a little bit of, you know, water, uh, tamr, you know, like dates or coffee, something very tiny. But it makes you realize, I am blessed that Allah, first of all, I have the money to buy coffee. Number two, I'm able to drink coffee, right? Because in Ramadan, I couldn't drink for 30 days, even if I wanted to. You know, I'm being, I'm trying to be the best I could be when it comes to fasting. So even if I wanted to, I would never drink coffee. And of course, if I'm capable of fasting in the first place. And it's something that nobody realizes. When Ramadan is over, we realize. We can have iftar. We can have breakfast in the morning. We can have lunch, right? So that is what I'm trying to say. So we, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we cannot appreciate Allah unless we know what he gives us, right? So that's... The first stage to identify who Allah is. What is Allah giving us on a daily basis? And again, I want to go back to my example. Uh, the fellow Muslim who told me like, why do I have to be thankful to Allah for those little things that Allah gave us those things so we can worship him? So, you know, it's like, and then he gave me the, the, the example of when you go to an employer, when you go work for an employer, they give you a computer. They give you, uh, you know, your cubicle, for example, or whatever the tools I'm talking about, like in terms of IT, or if you're like an accountant or whatever, they give you a place to work at. They give you the tools and they expect you to work. You don't go and thank them. Thank you for giving me a computer. Thank you for giving me a place to sit at. This is your company. You're supposed to sit at a place. You're supposed to have your tools to be productive, right? So he's drawing the comparison. He's like, why do I have to thank Allah for everything he's given me? You know, my limbs, you know, my situation. Because he wants me to worship him with those things. So why do I have to, you know, and that was a legitimate question on his his part. He was wondering why. And here's the, big, the biggest reason why and the biggest difference between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you know uh, we're not comparing Allah to an employer or anything but he's the biggest difference in these two situations the employer needs you to be productive if you're not productive his company will be losing you know investing in you am I correct like he'll be paying you a salary he'll be giving you all the tools he'll be giving you all the things and if you're not being productive what happens his company loses money so he has to do that to be profitable, to be productive. He has to. He has no choice. Otherwise, why hiring employees in the first place? He has to train you. He has to give you all the tools because he needs to take things from you. He wants to extract benefit from you. He wants profitability from you as an employee. Allah doesn't need any of this. Allah does not need you. Allah does not need your worship. Allah doesn't need, need anything from you you need your worship you need your limbs to worship allah you need everything you have and to utilize everything you have to worship allah because you will lose allah will never lose if you don't you know use it for the sake of allah so allah gives you limbs if you don't use those limbs when you come when it comes to you know praying five times a day when it comes to fasting when it comes to all these you know things that we have to do as muslims who's gonna lose when you don't do those things not allah 
Allah doesn't care. But in the you know example of the employer, the employer will lose. Of course, you will lose your job if they you know find that you're not you know bringing them any profit. Then you will lose your job. Yes, but also you wasted the time of the company of your employer. You made them lose money because you were not productive. They lost. So that is the big. So that's why they have to do that. So that's why you don't have to thank them. They have to give you, provide you with all the tools, and you do not have to thank them for that because they need you. Allah does not need you. Allah does not need you. Will never need you. Will never need any human being. Will never need any angel. Allah doesn't need any beings ever. Allah is Allah. He's the ultimate and the only God. Allah does not need to prove to Himself that He is God. He does not need us to worship Him to be God. Allah is God. You know, Allah mentions in the Quran, if we stop worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will replace us with nations that will worship him. Allah is capable of creating. Allah is actually creating every single day. We just don't know what he's creating. So Allah does not need us. So yes, we have to thank Allah for the, the tiniest things that we have, the tiniest blessings, because we need those things to enter paradise. Allah does not need those things. Allah does not need us to worship him. So I hope that, you know, kind of a difference between those two scenarios is, is kind of clear. Now, so back to my point of like, uh, you need to learn about Allah to appreciate him. And you need to appreciate Allah to love him and be passionate about doing things for his sake. So like I said, when you thank Allah for teaching us how to repent, like I said, Allah does not need us. Yet he taught us how to repent for our sake. Am I correct? He taught us for our sake. Allah could have said, hear me out. Could have said, figure out a way to repent to me. Figure out a way to try to correct your mistakes. I'm not going to teach you how. And if you don't, you'll be punished. Who will stand against Allah when he makes that verdict? Who? No one. No one. Not a single human being, not a single angel, not a single entity. Not a single entity will stand against Allah and say, why would you do that, Allah? No one can, no one will ever be able to do such a thing. So yeah, you have to be thankful to Allah for the things he taught us. He didn't have to teach us anything, but he taught us that for our sake. He taught us how to repent. He taught us how to worship. That, that's what we said. He gave us the manual. Allah gave us the manual that will take us to paradise, will make us avoid hellfire. So yes, learning about Allah, about his blessings, should make us appreciate who Allah is. Appreciate his blessings upon us. And when you appreciate that Allah is incredibly generous with us to the furthest extent, wallahi, to the furthest extent. And if you cannot appreciate this, then you have something wrong with how you assess things in the first place. Now, when you appreciate Allah, you love you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to do things to please Allah. You know when you appreciate when you appreciate someone, when you believe that they are good people, you try to do things to please them, right? It's a human nature. Imagine the Lord of people, the creator of people. Isn't he worthy of that? Of you learning about him, you understanding and appreciating what he does, so you do things for his pleasure, you do things for, out of loving him and being passionate about pleasing him. You know, that is the first motivation point that we should be truly, you know, uh, considering. 
you should be truly considering doing things for the sake of Allah. Learn more about Allah, appreciate what He does for our sake. You know, there's something very interesting uh, that you know people don't understand is that you know you have people who make fun of God, right? And again, Allah lets them do what they do because. <laughs> May Allah protect us, but on the day of judgment, they'll have nothing, no defense case, no nothing against Allah. They will be completely punished and completely destroyed. But again, people speak and talk and they, you know, say nonsense about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about God, without even, you know, learning about Allah. It's like it reminds me of people who talk about a topic. They have no clue what they're. What, what they have no study of that topic. They've never read about it. They don't know anything. That is the same situation right here. You want to be motivated in Islam. You want to be a true believer. You want to love what you do. You have to know why you're doing it. Why you're doing it. I know that you know our parents, our grandparents, for those who were born Muslims, they tell us you have to do this for the sake of Allah. You have to do this. You will be punished. You have, we know why they're doing this, at least culturally speaking, right? In a, in a Muslim culture. However, you yourself need to figure out what is my purpose? Why am I doing this? And it's connected to purpose, by the way. If you know your purpose, you know why you should do this and you will appreciate what you're doing. You'll be, you'll be subhanAllah, automatically motivated. Motivation is Wallahi has a direct connection to purpose. If you have the purpose, if you know why you're here, then you'll appreciate what you're doing, then you would want to do more. So this is when it comes to, you know, um, the pa being passionate and loving to do things for the sake of Allah, that type of motivation. Now, the second type is, like we mentioned, is the rewards. You know, that paycheck that an employee wants from the employer. You Allah also, is. there's nothing haram about it. Allah told you, yeah, you can do this for the sake of paradise, for the sake of Allah's pleasure, for the sake of Jannah. You want to be rewarded. That's There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Jannah and describes Jannah, describes paradise numerous times in the Quran. Like I said, Jannatun arduha ardi samai wal ardi u'iddat lilladheena amanu. Allah said, vast, you know, uh, uh, lands and lands and houses. And the Prophet said, if you recite, and he, here's, and we're going to get to examples of things that should motivate us, inshallah. But the Prophet mentioned many times, if you do certain things, you're going to get rewarded in Jannah. What is Jannah? The Prophet describes it. Allah describes it. Subhanallah. You, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you'll never be able to imagine Jannah. Because it's far better than anything you've seen in this existence. That's why, inshallah, we're going to have a whole series talking about the description of Jannah. But that happens, inshallah, after we finish the entire Day of Judgment. And we also have a series talking about the description of Hellfire. But not, not for now. For the purpose of you know our topic today, the Prophet described Jannah and he said, you'll never be able to imagine it. You can't imagine it. You cannot. Because our minds are limited to the worldly stuff that we know. Jannah is far beyond our worldly comprehension of beautiful things right so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the rewards here you go here's what i'm and allah promised also rewards in this life so it's not just about the hereafter there's also rewards in this life right and there are the, of course but the ultimate reward that we're looking for that we're all should be looking for is paradise is jannah because any reward that you will receive in this life what's going to happen it will expire whether with your death or it will expire before you die. That's one of the things, right? The problem is when you focus on rewards in this life, you're not making the smartest investment decision. You know, everybody wants to invest in something that will last them as long as it can. 
Nobody wants a short like kind of term investment, right? So when it comes to investing in the hereafter, this is the smart investment. You want to invest in something that literally will never end. It will be et- eternal. You will live inshallah in paradise for eternity. For the disbelievers, they will live unfortunately for them, they will live eternity in hellfire unless they at least become Muslims. Uh, before they die and even if they were like terrible muslims and whatever and we know that there are many terrible muslims so yeah you'll have terrible muslims like you have terrible you know everybody everything else like you have terrible christians you have terrible jewish people you have terrible whatever now those terrible muslims those evil muslims will spend some time in hellfire but if they believed in allah SWT and his messenger even if in their heart and of course they announced that they were muslims and they never didn't work with it eventually and that's the the the, 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 the prophet i told you he was making and that's why he would stand in tahajjud they will eventually enter paradise however they will spend some time and it could be thousands of years wallahi may allah protect us but they could spend thousands of years in hellfire then enter paradise now, also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, you know, to, told us about hellfire. And he told us a lot about hellfire. As a matter of fact, Allah described hellfire in numerous times in the Quran. Why? So we'd be, you know, we would be scared of entering hellfire, right? Like I said, and that is something that's significant. You know how fire, like like we just mentioned, you could be in hellfire for thousands of years. Thousands of years. I want you to fathom that for a second. You know, if you get burned by fire, like, you know, if you, if you feel just a little burn, right, you, you, you feel massive pain. You know, all these, you know, second degree burn, third degree burn, whatever, all these like, you know, massive burns are nothing compared to hellfire. You know, when you, subhanAllah, and this is really freaky and scary but again that's the whole point right when we're burned and inshallah i'm not talking about us but like when human beings terrible people disbelievers right when they're burnt in hellfire of course their their skin will melt and when it melts allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reconstruct their skin again so they can feel the pain all over again can you imagine this there's no death my dear brothers and sisters, there's no death in hellfire nor in paradise. It goes both ways, right? Like if you're a good human being, don't worry. You're going to enjoy eternity in paradise for, you know, for forever. And you're going to have no, you won't be bored. You won't feel anything. You're going to live for eternity and enjoy every bit of Jannah of paradise. But if you're a disbeliever, if you're a terrible human being, if you're an oppressor, yeah, good luck with that. Because again, you will never die in hellfire. It will be torture, like unspeakable pain. Let's let's talk about. Let's give a description. The uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Abu Talib. Remember, we have the story. We mentioned the story multiple times. He is the uncle who passed away as a disbeliever, even though he was good to the Muslims. He helped the Muslims, and he was the most beloved uncle to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You know, the Prophet kept making, tried to make dua for him, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stopped him. Remember? Allah addressed the Prophet and said, You do not guide whomever you want. I guide whomever I want based on their hearts. And of course, the heart of the uncle of the Prophet was not pure towards Islam. He loved Islam. He believed that the Prophet was a true prophet, but he had this tribalism. He felt like he he had this pride of because you know remember while he while he was dying on his deathbed he was about to say the shahada he was about to become a Muslim 
But then what happened? Abu Jahl came to him, the worst enemy of Islam, and told him what? Are you going to deviate from the religion of your parents and grandparents? Are you are you are you gonna you know die in disgrace, quote unquote disgrace? Are you willing to do that? And of course, again, that took the better. Like you know that he wanted to become a Muslim. He believed in Islam, yet he chose pride. You know his his family name and you know all this is, uh, pride in his grandfather and father and grandfather and whatever, and that stopped him from becoming a Muslim. He preferred tribalism he preferred you know uh, his family name over islam over allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger and that's why he will spend eternity in hellfire even the uncle of the prophet sallallahu but let's the, the whole point of the story is this the uncle of the prophet sallallahu because how much he helped the muslims and he, how good he was to the muslims uh, and how dear he was to the prophet sallallahu even he's not exempt, like we said, from from you know entering hellfire for eternity. However, he will be the least tortured human being in hellfire. He will be the least punished. He will get this, the the least uh, type of punishment. Look at this. His feet will be in hellfire. Just his feet. So basically, his feet will be in in hell, like in 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 actual fire. Right, the rest of his body, he will still be physically all of him. He will be in hellfire, but what will be burning is just his feet. Imagine like he's stepping in lava or something like that. But of course, my dear brothers and sisters, may Allah protect us all. The fire of hellfire is nothing like the fire of this world. Not like lava, uh, volcano fire. None of that is comparable. Just to let you know. So his feet will be in hellfire. Okay. He's just his feet in, in fire. And from the severity of the pain, his brain, he will feel like his brain will be boiling. Boiling. And he will say, I am receiving the worst punishment in hellfire. Even though he's not. He's literally receiving the least punishment. This is an authentic hadith by the Prophet ﷺ. Allah informed the Prophet ﷺ that his uncle, Abu Talib, will receive the least type of punishment the least you know painful punishment uh, in hellfire even though he will receive the least like literally he will receive the least he will think because of the amount of pain that he is receiving the worst type of punishment and that's just because his feet just his feet can you imagine not his entire body some people by the way their entire body will be in fire we're talking about that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving him the least amount of punishment. His feet, only his feet will be in fire. And his brain literally will feel like it's boiling. The Prophet said he will feel like his brain is boiling from his feet, from the pain of his feet. So yeah, think about that for a second. If the least person who will be punished in hellfire, that's, how, that's his status or that's how he's going to be. What about us? If we die upon disbelief, if we die upon, you know, being basically criminals, as even as Muslims, again, even as the, being Muslims doesn't it doesn't exempt us from entering hellfire at least in the beginning, and that, like I said, would take thousands of years for certain people, would take hundreds of years for other people, but it will be painful. So if you don't want to do it for the sake of Allah, for the, your passion, for the love of Allah, let's say because you do not know Allah. 
you don't have that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and if you're not really impressed which it's crazy but let's say you're not impressed with paradise you're not impressed with jannah avoid hellfire am i correct avoid it you don't want to live like that you know uh, in the chapter of Waqa'ah, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about the people of hellfire? In verse number 51, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ أَيُّهَا الضَّالُّونَ الْمُكَذِّبُونَ لَآكِلُونَ مِنْ شَجَرٍ مِنْ زَقُومٍ فَمَالِئُونَ مِنْهَا الْبُطُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing the people, the dwellers of hellfire, those who will be, you know, become the dwellers of hellfire, whether they're Muslims or disbelievers, right? He's saying, all oh, you who are misguided, all those who be, you belied our religion, all those who you oppressed and you know committed crimes on earth, you shall enter her fire and you will eat from the tree of Zakum. By the way, the tree of Zakum, the Prophet described it, it's, it's, it's hideous. And its fruits taste like lava. Imagine, my dear brothers and sisters, you're eating from lava. And you have no other choice. That's the only food and you will feel hungry. And the only thing that you will feel like you have to eat is zaqum, which is that, that, that tree, from that tree, the tree of zaqum. You have nothing else to eat and you really want to eat. And you will eat from it and you will be able to do nothing about it. It will be painful. It will be like, imagine you're eating lava. Imagine this. And your stomach will be filled from that fruit. Allah is describing the status of the people of hellfire. And you will drink something like acid. Can you imagine? Allah is saying, basically you will live a miserable eternity for the disbelievers and for the believers or for the Muslims who will spend you know, certain time in hellfire. It will be miserable. It's not going to be easy. This is not just an easy, quick punishment like the stuff we see in this life. You know, being punished in this life, Allah, is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he takes away from this, from this scene that I just described. So, again, if you really don't care about any of this, then I have nothing to tell you. You know, if you don't care about loving Allah, and again, we're mentioning the cure right here. We're not just, you know, trying to tell you that, that we're not just mentioning the symptoms. We're, we're also mentioning the cure. Learn about Allah because you want to do it. You want, listen, here's, here's the thing. You need to have all, like we said, you need to have all three, all three motivations. Loving Allah, being passionate about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and about the Prophet while wanting to enter paradise. Of course, you want to enter paradise. If you don't want to enter paradise, Nothing else matters, to be honest. Nothing else you want in this existence matters, right? And wanting to avoid hellfire. You don't want to even visit it. Of course, we're all going to visit hellfire, by the way. Uh, but not the way you might think. But we will all pass by hellfire. We will all feel the heat of hellfire on the day of judgment. Every single human being. Every single human being. And there's there are no exceptions. Even the best of the believers. We'll get to that on the day of judgment, inshallah. But my point is, we want to avoid entering hellfire, basically. Right? That's the ideal Muslim right there. Someone who has all three motivations. Now, let's say that you have one motivation but you're lacking some of the others, right? Like the other two. Or you have two and you're lacking the third. Or whatever, right? You need to work on that. 
So if you feel like you're not doing it because of passion, because of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, increase your knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, like when you, let me give you an example. When you pray, when you're standing in prayers, okay? When you said, for those who feel nothing when they're praying, right? When you're standing in prayers, let me explain something to you. When you say Allahu Akbar, and you start your prayers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at you. Can you imagine? Allah looks straight at the individual who is praying. As soon as you say Allahu Akbar, Allah looks at you. Now Allah looks away if you start you know, getting distracted, if you look somewhere else, because you're supposed to look where you put your head in sujood, right? So if that's part of the khushua, and khushua means disciplining, you're, you're, you're being disciplined, you're being, you have the mannerisms of, of salah, you have you know, the fear and conscience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while you're performing salah. Khushua has so many meanings. It doesn't have like, like there's no one uh, equivalent kind of meaning for the word khushua in English, but it could be, it could mean a lot of stuff. One of them is just being, uh, you know, disciplined when it comes to, you know, praying. As long as you're disciplined, uh, as long as you're looking down where you're supposed to make sujood, right? Or you're supposed to put your head, Allah keeps looking at you. And this is honoring you, by the way. Allah's looking at you while you're praying is an honor to you. Imagine, imagine like how we have, like we said, well, almost 8 billion people and Allah's looking straight at you. Now, a lot of people might ask, and I know, trust me, I know the logistics. There are always those people who are like, oh, so how does it work? If you have two different people in two different countries praying at the same time, which of course that happens almost all the time, consistently, does Allah? how does Allah look at both of them? My dear brothers and sisters, look at the size of Allah and where he is and where we at. Allah can look at the entire planet, the entire existence, just with one look. Do you, got, do, do you understand how, how it works? Now, I'm not asking you to imagine Allah. We said we should not imagine Allah because Allah is beyond our comprehension. But my point is, Allah can see everyone at the same time. Like he can hear every single one of us at the same time. Like he can know what's inside of our hearts, our intentions, all at once. Allah is Allah. Allah is God. There's nothing impossible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyway. So Allah looks at you while you're praying and the moment you get distracted, you start looking somewhere else, Allah looks away, meaning Allah was honoring you, but now you're not honoring Allah, you're not being khashia, you know, you're not committing khushua during the prayers. Like I said, you're not disciplined during your prayers. So Allah is, okay, then that Allah loses interest in your salah. Do you get it? Allah is like khalas. You know, he was giving you attention, he was honoring you, but if you are not honoring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while you're praying, Allah won't honor you back. That's one thing. Another thing, so that should boost your, you know, iman while you're praying. You're praying and you know, as long as you're khasha, as long as you're disciplined, Allah's looking straight at you. That should, you know, mean something to you. Now, when you recite Al-Fatiha, and as we all know, Al-Fatiha, and I had, alhamdulillah, a Q&A episode of kind of reciting Al-Fatiha and mentioning just the very basic meaning of it. This is mandatory. Al-Fatiha is mandatory in every raqah. When you, when you make every raqah in salah, you have to recite Al-Fatiha. The Fatiha is mandatory, right? Now, the thing is, when you recite Al-Fatiha, do you guys even know what you're doing and what's happening? Do you know what's happening while you're praying and you're reciting Al-Fatiha? Let me explain to you. The Prophet ﷺ told us in an authentic hadith that when we start praying and we recite Al-Fatiha, Allah commented on that in a hadith Qudsi. So uh, the Prophet ﷺ told us a hadith 
basically in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly, which is called Hadith Qudsi. Hadith Qudsi is a, a hadith by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the Prophet did not say his way, but it's also not Quran, not part of the Quran, right? Look at this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? When it comes to Al-Fatiha, reciting Al-Fatiha during Salah. I have divided prayers between myself and my servant into two halves. So Allah is saying, when you recite Al-Fatiha, Allah divides the prayers into two halves. Half for us when we recite Al-Fatiha and half for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to respond. So imagine this. When you pray every single time, when you recite Al-Fatiha every single time, Allah responds to you. Every single time. So when you say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah responds, Hamadani Abdi. My servant had praised me. So Allah is responding to you. You, you praised me, my servant. Okay? Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. We say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds by, by saying, Athna alayya abdi. When you say, uh, remember, we said that Ar-Rahman is a special, uh, is a general type of mercy that's given to the believer and, uh, and you know, and a disbeliever in this life. And Ar-Rahim is a special type of mercy. Remember, we said that when we described the or we explained the meaning of Al-Fatiha. So when you say Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says, my servant has exalted me. Okay, my servant has exalted me. Maliki Yawmidin. Remember Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Maliki Yawmidin. So Allah says, Majadani Abidi. In another wording, Fawwada ilayya Abidi. It's the same meaning. In English, it means basically uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds. So when we say Maliki Yawmidin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, My servant has glorified me. Or in other wording, My servant has submitted to me. Again, it's all the, the, gives the same meaning, right? That you're honoring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then when we say, Now when we get to the part of, we say, we shall never worship anyone but you, O Allah. Remember, you're the only one we worship and you, you're the only one that we seek uh, his help. Allah responds, look at this, very interesting. And there's no explanation for this. This part is between me and my servant. Like Allah did not respond to it, did not say, my servant said this, but Allah says, this is between me and me, meaning we shall be rewarded when we say this sincerely, of course, in, in a special reward that Allah is not mentioning to us now. This is between me and my servant. And then Allah says, and my servant will have what he or she has asked for. And then when we say إِهْدِينَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ To the end of the, to the surah, Allah said, this is for my servant, because this is a dua, by the way, for those of you who do not know, when once we start saying إِهْدِينَ الصِّرَاطَ This is a dua, a straight up dua. إِهْدِينَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ We're basically saying, oh Allah, guide us to the straight path. This is a straight up dua. And do not make us from those that you're angry uh, at uh, or those who are misguided. It's a straight up du'a, right? It's a beautiful du'a. So Allah's saying, I shall give you that. Meaning that du'a that you're asking for, this is for you. You shall have it. This happens every time we pray. Did you guys know that? I'm, I'm pretty sure many of you, mashallah, knows that. But also I know that a lot don't know. 
And that makes a difference. Imagine every time. Because I know that some people, when they pray and they start reciting Al-Fatiha, to them it's just they're doing chores. They're like doing chores. You know, they're reciting Al-Fatiha, okay, Bismillah ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And they're not even, they don't care. They're, it's just words, right? But imagine every time you say this, every time you say certain verses from Al-Fatiha, Allah responds to every verse. And this is honoring to you Allah, again, like I said None of that makes makes a difference In Allah's dominion In Allah's lordship Us praying, us worshipping Allah Does not change a thing in Allah's dominion, right? This is an honor to you So when you know this What happens? You should be excited to recite Al-Fatiha Every time Because you know that Allah is straight up looking at you That's number one And responding to you you know, so my point is, we need to learn more. Listen, I'm still learning until this moment. I read and I try, and, and again, I read for my own sake, and I also read and I learn and I research for the sake of the podcast because, you know, I don't want to risk uh, sharing any uh, inauthentic, uh, you know, uh, text or information because I will be held accountable for that in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But my point is, when I research, when I read, when I learn, when I gain knowledge, it's for my own sake first. Because I want to be better. I want to do better. You know, I want to worship Allah as much as I can in a, the most proper way, you know, that I could. And I cannot do that without knowledge. And again, I, I know I keep emphasizing this, but it's critical. Knowledge will change that. If you're, you feel like you're unmotivated, it's because you don't have enough knowledge, right? If, because you don't know your purpose because you don't know what happens when you perform salah because you don't know what happens when you you know uh, fast ramadan because you don't know all these things but if you know it's gonna change your perception of the acts of worship but that's not all the problem is in today's world we have a lot of distractions a lot of distractions you know a lot of people and uh, i want to talk about this let me talk about this let me rant, okay? Let me rant a little bit. This is the the, the ranting uh, segment of, of the episode today, okay? The newest trend online, and again, I don't, I don't look for things online to complain about. I get sent stuff, and then when I watch more of it, I just get really upset. The newest trend online is that, mashallah, Muslims filming themselves crying, because of Islam, because they heard very emotional verses, because they are, you know, for, they film themselves. It's like a documentary. They film themselves crying while they're praying. And they might have the best intentions, by the way. I do not know their intentions. I cannot doubt their intentions. Astaghfirullah. However, really? Really? Do we film everything right now? Because it seems to me like it's not sincere. There's something called riyah. And riyat means you are increasing your worship in front of people, not in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is, by the way, a major sin. Riyat is a major sin. It's pretending, basically. Or it's not even pretending. You increase. You, nobody's saying that you're not a Muslim, you know, privately, but you increase your iman. You cry a lot because it's there's camera rolling, right? And the problem is when we do things for the sake of people, for the sake of clicks, for the sake of views, for the sake of whatever you want to call it, yet you won't be motivated. 
and again, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, anybody who I talk to does this. I don't even know. I don't know them and, and, and I don't know their personal lives. I'm saying in general, when all you care about is pleasing people by showing off that you are a Muslim, a good Muslim, yeah, you're missing the point. You don't do that for the sake of people because if you do it for the sake of people, there's no motivation. Because if you know who Allah is and you know that you should do things for the sake of Allah, that should keep you motivated. Now, subhanAllah, here is the beauty in our religion, right? Uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran addresses everything. Like, you know, for, for example, you know, for those who uh, have uh, trouble with motivation, right? For, for those who don't know. Uh, you know uh, how to feel or how what what to do basically to feel uh, the emotions to feel the connection with Allah subhanahu wa taala right Allah subhanahu wa taala actually addresses them in the Quran in the chapter of Hadid verse number sixteen and by the way this is not something new you know uh, Allah subhanahu wa taala addresses every single category of mankind in the Quran I mean whether you know it or not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses those who you know the complete disbelievers Allah addresses those who are complete believers and from the elite Allah addresses those who are average muslims Allah addresses those who have a problem quitting their sins you know Allah addresses those who uh, you know don't want to quit their sins because they love this life more than the hereafter Allah addresses those who you know have guilt and Allah addresses every single category of mankind subhanallah and one of those categories is the category that we're you know talking about today which is those who are basically which is all of mankind again like i said at a certain point and you know in time all of us we're basically unmotivated when it comes to, you know, worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, praying, fasting, paying zakah. We were unmotivated at a certain point in time, right? And that is completely normal. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses those who, uh, you know, that it, those who take longer when it comes to, because here's the thing, like I said, being unmotivated for a specific amount of time, it's, it's normal as long as you get yourself back on track. However, when that takes too long, when you truly keep, like when you keep on wondering, uh, why am I doing this? I, I'm not motivated. I don't know. I'm not feeling anything. And that takes a very long time. It becomes part of your life, part of how you feel about Islam in general. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses you in certain, you know, in certain verses in the Quran, starting with the, again, like I said, chapter of Hadid, verse number 16. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? Alam ya'ni lilladina amanu. Allah is straight up talking to the believers who have a problem with this whole motivation situation, right? So Allah is saying, isn't it time? You know, has the time has not, you know, has the time not come for those who have believed? Again, like I said, the believers, that their hearts should become humble and submissive. Like I said, the word taqsha or khushua does not have a straight up equivalent in the English language. You could say discipline. You could say humble. You could say submissive, right? Uh, so Allah saying, isn't it time for the believers who are struggling with, you know, motivation and humbleness and, you know, this connection with Allah? Isn't it time for you to have your heart submissive, have your heart, you know, uh, humble, have your heart disciplined when you hear the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Isn't it time? You know, and it's very interesting because, again, what are the times that we remember Allah during the day? It, when you pray five times a day, right? 
when you read Quran, those are basically the daily things that when we do, we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, we have to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time. You know, when we see something good, we say, subhanAllah. When we say something bad, we say, a'udhu billah, or oh Allah, protect us. You know, when we say something that, you know, that, that that's happening good to us, and, you know, people are looking at us and, you know, praising us, we say, Allah. And when you say something that someone else has, uh, instead of, you know, because, you know, to prevent yourself from, you know, envying them, you say, Tabarakallah. You should basically, remembering Allah should be something that you always do, right? But let's say the main actions of worship, the main acts of worship during the day is when you pray five times a day, those are the default. And whenever you read Quran, whether in prayers or outside of, preferably, of course, you uh read Quran outside of prayers. But let's say that you only read Quran during prayers. So again, reading Quran, praying is your basically entry point to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So Allah's saying when you pray, when you read Quran, isn't it time for you? Isn't it time for you to, you know, have your heart submissive, to have your heart humble, to have your heart, you know, disciplined when you remember me? Allah's telling us that some believers have that problem. So when that problem happens, you don't think, oh, I'm not a believer. Allah doesn't look at me like I'm a believer. That's not true. Allah is addressing the believers who have a problem like that. So that is key, by the way, that believers could have this issue. Again, as long as they identify, and of course, uh, again, both uh, the, 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 you know, uh, Sister Maryam and uh, brother Adam, when they talked to me, they basically said we were concerned in, in, in their own way. Like Madam said, this scares me, which is, uh, again, a sign of belief. And Brother Adam was like, I- I'm, I'm worried. Why, why am I not feeling this, right? And it, again, this is a sign of belief. So this is key that Allah is addressing the believers. You could be a believer with this issue as long as, again, you detect it, you try to fix it. But this is what happens. Then Allah is saying, don't be like those who received the book from before you, the scripture. Basically, you know, the previous nations, the previous religions, right? Because then what happened is they never addressed this issue. They never, you know, they never felt anything when they remembered Allah. And Allah saying, you know, a long period of time had passed over them without them feeling anything, without them even trying, without them trying to understand why this is happening. And look at the result. Their hearts have hardened. Their hearts have hardened. They became cruel. And because their hearts have hardened, because they never addressed it, they didn't care basically, many of them became defiantly disobedient. They became disobedient. So Allah is telling you, be careful. It is time for you to address this situation, this issue that you have. Because you don't want to be like the, 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 the previous nations. Because when they didn't address it, when they didn't care about it, you know, when I pray five times a day, I pray for the sake of people. Some people don't even pray and they don't care. They don't need that connection. They don't feel that connection. They don't care. Simply, they don't care. And they never addressed it. And because of that, 
and, and a long time had passed and because of that their hearts have hardened and because their hearts have hardened they became defiant they became disobedient and Allah saying don't be like them do not be like them now look at this statement that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making in uh, verse number 17 same chapter اعلموا أن الله يحيي الأرض بعد موتها قد بينا لكم الآيات لعلكم تعقلون Allah saying know that Allah resurrects earth know that Allah resurrects earth after earth dies okay after earth dies and let that be a sign for you to learn from what's the relationship here like what is the relationship between Allah resurrecting earth and how does Allah resurrect earth in the first place after it dies well Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala resurrects earth every year by the way after it dies yeah during winter time in certain places all plants die earth dies you look at the trees no leaves on the trees they all fall during you know the season of fall all the plants dead flowers dead you name it nothing grows everything dead everything looks pale you look at it and you know during winter time especially in the west you can see it it's very clear then during the summer or starting from spring you see all the plants all the you know trees are coming back to life all the leaves there you know they start regrowing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands earth to go back to life and it comes back to life and you see all the plants literally it's a resurrection process subhanallah so Allah's telling you I resurrect earth after it dies constantly giving you that example but why would Allah give us that example because Allah's telling you this if your heart died Allah will resurrect it Allah is drawing the comparison between your heart and earth all you have to do is to want to go back to Allah to want for your heart to be resurrected just do the bare minimum just do something you have to do something because like i said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fair do something to go back to Allah try to learn something and Allah will guide you inshallah and Allah is telling you Allah by the way Allah gave us that example for the sake of hope Allah is giving you hope look earth dies but i resurrect it it's not too late for you. I can resurrect your heart. I can guide you to the straight path. Subhanallah. That's why Quran is incredible. It's beautiful. It addresses your soul. Wallahi, it's not an exaggeration. It addresses your soul. For those who think, well, it's too late. I've done so many bad things in my life. Or for those who are practicing Muslims, I just, I'm not motivated anymore. I feel nothing. You know, I feel nothing. And I feel like my heart is dead. I don't have this connection with Allah. And it's too late. Allah's telling you it's not too late. Allah literally resurrects earth. Allah can resurrect your heart. Allah can guide you. You can be the best of the Muslims in our time. Just have some trust in Allah and do the work. Right? In verse number 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? إِنَّ الْمُصَّدِّقِينَ وَالْمُصَّدِّقَاتِ وَأَقْرَضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا يُضَاعَفُ لَهُمْ وَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ كَرِيمٌ Allah saying, those who pay sadaqah, those who pay charity, specifically the optional charity, sadaqah, extra, right? Those who give Allah alone, 
And we said before Allah, when he describes our charity as a loan, basically when you pay something for the sake of Allah, Allah keeps track of it. So on the records, Allah never, you will never lose what you paid for when it comes to Allah. Allah always keeps, keeps it in the books, basically. And you shall be rewarded for it. That's why Allah said it's a loan. It's not like you pay for the sake of Allah and nothing comes back to you. No, it's a loan. Allah will return it. But adhafan mudafa or adhafun kathira, like it's mentioned in other verses, meaning multiple times, multiple times the reward, not just you know uh, the same reward, not just uh, you know double or triple, multiple adhafan kathira, multiple and multiple rewards for what you pay when it comes to sadaqah. Then Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُلِهِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الصِّدِّقُونَ Allah is basically is giving you the categories of mankind now. Still, Allah is addressing those who are struggling. So Allah is painting uh, a picture for us now, for those who are struggling with motivation. Allah is telling you, those who pay sadaqah, those who believe in Allah, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُلِهِ Those who believe in Allah and His messengers. Those are the true believers. Those are the you know the, the the honorable ones. Those are the true believers. And Allah's again mentioning the categories, the martyrs, you know, they have their own light and their own rewards. And then Allah's telling you basically the opposite picture now. Those who disbelieved in our, you know, our verses, our Quran, our words. They shall be from the dwellers of hellfire. Then Allah is giving you now, look. So Allah is painting. So now Allah is saying, I know that you guys exist. That there are believers who are unmotivated. They feel like they don't want to do the work. Or they feel like, why am I doing the work? We don't feel any connection. We don't feel any, you know, any any emotions when it comes to, you know, our acts of worship. So Allah is saying, I know you exist, but don't keep it like that for that long. You know, for a long time because you don't want to be like the previous nations. And Allah mentions the previous nations. Then Allah comes and tells you, listen, if you do certain things like sadaqah, like believing in Allah and his messenger, and all this comes from knowledge, right? Like I always say in the, on this podcast, it all comes from knowledge. When you do all of that, you shall be from the best. But if you do the opposite, you shall be from the dwellers of hellfire. Look at now, look, look at the beauty of this next verse. اعلموا أن الحياة الدنيا لعب ولهو وزينة وتفاخر بينكم وتكاثر في الأموال والأولاد. Allah is saying something that's subhanallah incredible. So in verse number twenty in the chapter of Hadid, Allah is saying what? Know that this life, the life that we live in, is nothing but an amusement and a diversion. It's a diversion, basically. From the truthfulness of you know the rewards of Allah from the hereafter, it's nothing. It's just basically empty amusement. There's nothing deep about this life. Of course, the only thing deep about this life is that we use it to get closer to the to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we use it also to get safely to the hereafter. That's the only good thing about this life. Everything else is basically empty. It's empty stuff, right? Happiness in this life is empty because it's temporary. Sadness in this life is empty because it's temporary. You know, having a big wealth is empty because you will die or you're going to lose your wealth. One of the two things will happen. You know, it's just logical if you think about it, right? This life is empty unless you use it wisely. 
How? By building an investment in the hereafter. Because in the hereafter, nothing is empty because nothing is temporary. Whatever you will receive, whether it's good or bad, will be permanent in the hereafter. Except, of course, we have you know exceptions like if you're a Muslim, but you're evil Muslim, you will be punished for some time. Could be a very long time, but you will be punished. That won't be you know permanent, and then you shall be uh, you know live uh, in in Jannah in paradise afterwards if you truly believed in Allah and His Messenger, right? But other than that, everything is per- permanent. If you go to Jannah, inshallah, it's permanent. If you go to hellfire, again, unless you're a bad Muslim, but if you're a disbeliever, it's permanent. You're going to live there forever. So Allah is saying, this life is empty. This life is nothing but an amusement and a diversion from basically the the true life, which is the hereafter. Right? And it's also something about boasting. It's وَتَفَاخُرُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ Allah is saying, تَفَاخُرْ here means boasting because you boast to one another. Hey, I have more money. Oh, I have more kids. Oh, you know, the, that big house that I bought, is, it's a little bit bigger than... No, you don't have to say that literally. But you can insinuate. You know how it is. It's always a competition between one another. Wallahi, it, it's mind-boggling sometimes the amount of competition between some family members or some best friends or whatever, even in the Muslim community or, of course, non-Muslim community. It's like a human nature, right? That, oh, I have a bigger house or I have a better car or I have a, the latest iPhone or the latest Android or I have this and that. And it's always... And Allah's describing the human condition, by the way. It's a human nature. Allah saying, this life is nothing but, you know, bragging. You guys brag about what you have in this life. You, you guys brag about this worldly stuff. Literally. And you, you, you want to say, oh, I have more money or I have more kids. Or my kids are better than your kids because they all memorize the Quran. Which is, again, this could be a healthy thing, but you don't have to brag or don't do it as a competition. Right, it's it because this life again, it doesn't matter. Let your kids learn Quran, let their kids understand Islam for their own sake in the future, in the hereafter, for the day of judgment, not to compete with one another. And Allah is saying, This is a human nature. You guys compete with one another, you boast in front of one another, and again, that's a human condition. But Allah is saying, This is what life is about. This life is this is it. And Allah tells us something that's very subhanAllah again, it's it's the Quran, so it's 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 not like a surprise that Allah draws a very interesting example talking about this topic. Allah says what? In a nutshell, Allah is saying it's like a plant that you look at and it looks so beautiful. Looks It looks so beautiful. But then a time will come that this plant basically will become yellow and it will die. And when it dies, what happens? It will become debris, right? You, know, you can literally, you know, when, when certain plants die, you can literally just, you know, crush them in your hands and become just debris, right? And Allah saying, that's life right there. Again, a beautiful looking plant, but that plant, again, like we said, during winter time, it will die. And when it dies, it becomes uglier and uglier and it becomes yellow and it looks pale and it's dead and then it becomes just debris that is life it's weightless it's worthless unless you use it for the hereafter so let's giving you in a nutshell the secret of happiness in this life which is basically the true happiness is the happiness in the hereafter but you can still be happy in this life by using this life wisely Islamically, like Allah to again, like I always said, Allah gave us the manual. 
And that is the biggest proof right there. Verse number 20 in chapter of Hadith. This is the manual. Allah is telling you how to live your life. If you have no motivation, this is your motivation. Because again, for those who have no, motiv no motivation, what are you thinking about? This life is not worth it. So work for the hereafter. Do it for the sake of Allah. If you don't want to do it for the sake of Allah, Allah is telling you, okay? Don't do it for, for my sake. If you really you know, don't have that love yet, don't have that connection yet, do it for the sake of obtaining Jannah, obtaining paradise. Oh, you don't care that much about paradise, which is you know, un unbelievable you know, that somebody does not want Jannah. But uh, some people, they really look right under the feet. They don't want something in the future. They want something right here, right now. Well, how about you want to save yourself from hellfire? And Allah it keeps on reminding us what hellfire looks like and what Jannah looks like. And Allah's telling you, this life is worthless. It's worthless. Why are you so attached to it? Be attached to your Lord. Be attached to your religion, to your book, you know, the book of Allah, the Quran. That's your guidance to the hereafter. So basically Allah is telling us what can we do to go back to him. Those, this is our motivation right there. Again, like I said, learn as much as you can about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you need to do things for the sake of Allah. Why? Because you want to go to Jannah. You want to go to paradise and you want to avoid hellfire. It's a very simple motivation. Now, Allah is also giving you, subhanAllah, some incentives in this life. Forget about the hereafter. Let's say that you're not there yet. You don't see the hereafter. Wallahi, my dear brothers and sisters, your life will be a billion. This is guarantee. I'm not even speculating. This is not a matter of maybe. This is guaranteed because it's the word of Allah, not my words. I'm just reiterating. And I'm going to tell you exactly what Allah said. It's guaranteed. Not almost. It is guaranteed. If you live and get yourself closer to Allah and you live by Allah's rules, again, we're not perfect, but as long as you do your best to live by the guidance of Allah, literally by the manual that Allah gave us, wallahi, this life, forget about the hereafter, this life will be a lot easier and you're going to feel so much better. You know, I'm going to give you the simplest example, the simplest example. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran that if we are patient, we shall be rewarded. Now, if you don't know that, right, and then some big calamity hits you in this life, why would you be patient? You're going to feel terrible. You're going to feel like you, you have anxiety. You're going to be very stressed. You're going to, it's, it's going to be a bad and a terrible life. It's going to be hardship for you. But then if you know that, you know what, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to, you know, maintain my you know composure i'm going to have you know a very calm attitude and i'm going to make dua for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you know get me out of this trouble that is the difference between someone who knows and someone who doesn't know the manual of allah the quran the words of allah the guidance of allah you know subhanallah like i'm going to give you another example when uh, you know you have you, for example you want to spend money for the sake of allah for the poor Someone who doesn't know won't want to do that. They won't not want to do that. And they're going to be like, well, I need my money more than anybody else. You know, I made that money. I worked for it so hard. But you know better. You know that you've taken one tiny portion, 2.5% of your, again, savings, would help someone else. And you will please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you're going to live in a content life. And let me tell you something else uh, regarding charity, by the way. One of the things that the Prophet ﷺ swore on 
is that is what is that if you pay your uh, optional charity, which is sadaqah, your wealth will never decrease. Ma naqasa malun min sadaqah. The Prophet ﷺ said, meaning Allah will make it up to you somehow. Now you don't have to wait for it to happen. You do it for the sake of Allah and leave the rest up to Allah. Now the difference between someone who knows and someone who doesn't know is what. The person who knows, knows that if we pay sadaqah, Allah will make it up to me, inshallah. But the person who doesn't, won't do it for the sake of Allah, and won't know even that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it up to him, or her. Right? It's very interesting, the, 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 the line between someone with knowledge and someone without knowledge. And that's an encouragement for you, my dear brothers and sisters, to gain knowledge, right? Now, another thing, and by the way, again, like I said, you need to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because when you don't, your heart will harden, like I said, right? And Allah said it explicitly in the Quran. Explicitly in the Quran when He said what? Woman Arada and Dikri Fa'inna Lahu Maishatun Donka Wanahshurhu Yomal Kiamati Ama. Allah is basically saying those who literally reject remembering me, by the way, this is the chapter of Taha, verse number 124. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? If you reject the idea of remembering me, meaning what? If you don't want to pray. If you don't want to read Quran, if you don't want to, there's a big difference between not doing it because you're lazy. You still there are major sins on you, but if you don't want to, Allah straight up is gonna throw you in hellfire, and your life will be miserable. Now, also those who are oblivious of doing that will have a miserable life. Secret of happiness, right there, right? You want to have a happy life? Remember Allah. Stay with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Allah is giving you all the ways to be motivated. And wallahi, I'm telling you, living by the words of Allah, by the commands of Allah, will give you a beautiful, peaceful life. Because guess what? You don't want to please anyone but Allah. And this is the easiest thing. Because you, you're going to try to please this person and that person and this person and your boss and your family members and your friends and your buddies. And it becomes chaotic because... You know, you're trying to please everyone. But when you're pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and according to pleasing Allah, you please other people. Again, all under the banner of pleasing Allah, right? It will make your life a lot easier. Because, for example, if you have friends who are doing something haram, you're going to be like, nope, can't do it, won't do it. Why? Because I don't want to disobey Allah. Makes your life easier. Simple, right? Very straightforward, very simple. If there's something that your wife wants you to do or your husband wants you to do that you feel like it's not matching with Allah's command, you can easily, and so of course after you verify, you can simply say, not going to do that because Allah said not to do it. Or not going to do that because the Prophet ﷺ said not to do it. Do you understand? It makes your life easier. And at the same time, when you live by these rules, when you live by these commands, guess what? Allah will facilitate things in your life that you're going to literally have a beautiful and happy life. And if you don't, it's Allah testing you and testing your patience. And when you pass the test by being patient, what happens? You shall be rewarded immensely in the hereafter. And that's what we care about. Now, to deal with the first three motivations, which is doing it for the sake of Allah, doing it for, uh, you know, to enter paradise and to avoid hellfire, if you have deficiencies in that, then you better gain knowledge because you need to do it for those three. And again, like I said, the ideal way is to do it for the three of them combined for the sake of Allah first to enter paradise and to avoid hellfire all at the same time. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to live a beautiful life. There's nothing wrong with wanting more wealth by giving, you know, charity, right? Not, nothing wrong with that. 
as long as you know that this life is not worth it, you'll be motivated. I'm telling you, take this to the bank. Take this to the bank, inshallah. Hopefully, inshallah. If you live your life not caring about this life, and again, I'm not saying completely abandon this life and just live in a room and pray 24-7. No, no, no. Even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to not do that. Just do as much as you can when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and live your life, have a family, be good to your family, be good to your community. That's, but again, you have to think that this life doesn't matter. And if you live like that, you shall inshallah have a happy life. And inshallah you shall be motivated and nothing will make you unmotivated inshallah. Just think about it this way. However, if you are attached to this life, if everything you think about is how I buy a car or a new car or I buy a better house or a bigger house or buy this or buy that and how do I get married to you know the spouse of my dream and this is all you're thinking about and you're completely ignoring Allah. You're completely ignoring the hereafter. Then you, you're you're literally making the wrong deal here because you're not motivated because again you, you're really what you care about is in this life why would you care about praying if all you care about is in this life right if all you care about is better your status and better yourself and better your financial situation in this life and you don't care about now none of this is haram just to let you know you can have all of that however all of that comes secondary to the hereafter to working for the hereafter the best investment is the investment that you do for the hereafter not in this life you still can invest in a halal way of course in this life of course you can put your money in a business that you believe will you know make you money and so on and so forth however if that makes you forget about the actual investment in here life which is basic in, in the hereafter which is basically what Piling up good deeds for the hereafter. That is the best investment. If you forget about that, then you're doing something wrong. Then you have a problem in this life. We have to make that clear. So if you are one of those who believe that everything has to be in this life, you know, I'll believe it when I see it kind of attitude, right? I I don't see the hereafter. I don't see the, the mansions that Allah promised in the hereafter. I don't see them yet. I don't see the rivers you know, jannatun tajri min tahtiha al-anhar or the, you know, gardens that have filled with rivers. By the way, Allah said each believer who will enter paradise will have their own, like I said, massive land, massive garden and rivers running that belong to you. Imagine this, you will own three rivers in jannah, in paradise. But again, I'll believe it when I see it. Or they believe it. Here's another thing. They believe it. But it's not that, you know, it's not that critical because they don't have it yet. They don't see it yet, right? Like, you'll be surprised if you tell people, yo, you want to you wanna get this mansion right here, right now? Or you want to get 10 times bigger mansion in, in the hereafter? You'll be surprised. You'll, you'll be surprised. You're going to hear a lot of people saying, I want it right now. I don't care. I don't care about the 10 times bigger, you know, the more you know, pure mansion or the more pure land. Or, no, I want to get it right now because it's tangible to you. And that is a problem because that is, and, and I want to get to the, basically, I want to get to the hierarchy of the problem, right? So again, I want to, let, let's focus on this this uh, stage first, which is you are being attached to the hereafter or not. So if you're being attached to the hereafter, wonderful. That gives you enough of motivation to, you know, better yourself. If you're not, if you're too attached to this life, like I said, why would you pray five times a day? 
because you pray five times a day to have a better hereafter, not to have a better. Of course, of course, the main goal is to have a better hereafter, but you also can have a better life. Like we said, if you get closer to Allah, if you do a dhikr of Allah, Allah will enhance your life, right? Unless, again, Allah is testing you, then this is a different case and you will feel it. But the main goal, the biggest reward is in the hereafter for praying five times a day, for fasting, for paying zakah, right? Paying zakah is one of the biggest proofs that you, you either believe in Allah or not because you keep spending money, taking out of your money, right? But you don't see any kind of a return, right? Or any kind of profit in that investment. You don't see it in this life. It's not like Allah sends you a, you know, a, a pile of you know, money in return of your paying zakah. You don't see that. Because the reward, the ultimate reward for zakah is in the hereafter. So if you believe, here's here's the connection. If you're attached to this life, you won't be motivated to pay zakah because you don't see the return in this life. But if you believe in Allah's words, if you are attached to the hereafter more, nobody's saying you, you should not be attached to this life at all. But if your hereafter is more important to you than this life, you will be motivated to pay zakah. You will be motivated to fast Ramadan because you're doing it for the sake of Allah. You're doing it for the sake of the hereafter. You're doing it to avoid hellfire, the three main components for a believer to you know, perform the acts of worship. None of that works if you don't believe in the hereafter or if you don't, if you're not, again, if you're not attached to the hereafter more than you're attached to this life. You know, when you let go of certain things because you don't want to cause issues among the Muslim community, like you have someone who wronged you, a Muslim brother or a Muslim sister who wronged you, you could have caused a, a big fuss, you could have caused a problem, but you said, I will let it go for the sake of Allah. People like that, they do it because of the hereafter, because they believe in the hereafter and be, they believe that this life is not worth it. You know what? I'm, inshallah, I'm going to get the rewards in the hereafter. That is the attitude of a believer. So, again, there's a direct relationship between your attachment to this life and your motivation in terms of, like, performing the acts of worship. Now, let's go to stage number No, no This is the first stage is the, the, the motivation. Second stage, or the cause of it, is... Uh, the, the attachment to this life or the attachment to the hereafter. Now, what is the cause? Let's go to stage number three or the third level. What causes you to be attached to this life or being attached to the hereafter? It's simple. It's your level of belief. And I say the word believe because it's either you believe in the word of Allah or not. Allah said in the Quran numerous times, in the chapter of A'la. Allah is saying, you prefer this life, but the hereafter is everlasting and it's far better in every way possible. Allah is saying that. So if you believe in Allah's words, you'll know that the hereafter is better. And that's what causes you to be attached to either this life uh, more or the hereafter more your level of belief in Allah your level of belief in Allah's words that is as simple as that your level of belief in Allah's words you believe that Allah is saying you know 
you believe when Allah says Al-Akhiratu Khairun wa Abqa, the hereafter is far better and everlasting, and I shall, you know, give you a lot of, you know, gardens and homes and paradise. You believe in that, then you work for it. Then you are motivated. But if you don't believe in Allah's words, or if you have doubts, or if you don't care that much, then guess what? This life will become more important to you than the hereafter. Now, let me go to stage now, number four. We said the level three. So level one is the actual motivation. Level two is the cause of the motivation, which is being attached to this life or the hereafter. Level number three is the level of belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believing his words. Level number four, and this is the last level, knowledge. That's what causes you to believe in Allah's words or not. When you have enough knowledge about Allah, and, and now it's a full circle, back to the, the beginning of this episode. The level of knowledge about Allah. The level of knowledge about the religion. The level of knowledge about anything. Like, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. The Prophet ﷺ told us in a hadith that every time or every single day, you pray the nawafil prayers. What are the nawafil prayers? Are the sunnah prayers, the extra prayers that are not mandatory. You know, the bonus prayers which is four, uh, two before Fajr, four before Dhuhr, two after Dhuhr, Asr has no nawafil, two after Maghrib and two after Isha. If you pray those nawafil prayers, Allah builds you a house in Jannah, in paradise. A different house, by the way. Let's say that you're already going to have a mansion. Allah builds you another. By the way, some people ask, how am I going to live in these like, if I do this every single day, like the Prophet said, in one day, if you do this sincerely in one day, Allah builds your house in Jannah. Okay, if you do this two days, does Allah build me two houses? Yeah. Makes sense. Okay, three days, three houses? Yeah. All right. Pause for a second here. What am I going to do with like a hundred houses if I do this for a hundred nights? Or 100 days What am I going to do Well you have eternity to figure out And Allah said You will never feel bored For a second of your eternal life In Jannah, in paradise Allah is giving, making that promise You'll never feel bored For a moment For your eternal life in, in paradise That means you're going to enjoy Everything to the fullest And when you're done enjoying it There'll be something else waiting for you but my point is, if you have no knowledge of this hadith, why would you pray the Nawafil prayers? You guys get it now. I, alhamdulillah, and I know many people, many Muslims, we pray the Nawafil prayers, and I mainly pray. Now, there's another reason why you should pray Nawafil prayers, which is to make up any prayer you've missed. Because at the end of the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will look at your salah, your prayers, which is the number one thing that Allah will look at on a day of judgment, by the way, when it comes to your deeds. The first thing, it shows how important it is, by the way. Then Allah will say, will see that you were lacking prayers at a certain point in your in your life. Then Allah will take from your nawafil prayers and will make up your mandatory prayers. So that's my number one motivation. That's why actually my, I want to pray nawafil prayers because I don't want Allah to punish me for any missed prayers that I have Missed. Now, that doesn't apply to reverts, by the way. Reverts, it's a clean slate. Once they become Muslims, it's a clean slate before they become Muslims, right? But then if they start missing prayers, when they know, once they learn, Allah, again, Allah is merciful, Allah understands He's fair. 
Once you learn how to pray and you become lazy and you slack, then this is what I'm talking about in terms of missing prayers, right? Okay. Then I want Allah to make up for my Nawaf prayers to, towards my mandatory prayers. That's number one. Number two, this hadith right there. I mean, both, by the way, come from the hadith from the Prophet And that I would have never known that unless I started seeking knowledge. So the Prophet said, if you, the first thing about the Nawafil is if you pray them, Allah will make up uh, whatever mandatory prayers you've missed from the Nawafil prayers. Okay, we know that hadith. Another hadith, if you pray one just for one day, and again, that means you should pray a lot to get multiple houses and at the same time to make up for those prayers. Then Allah builds your house in Jannah, in paradise. Now I'm double motivated to pray the Nawaf for prayers. How would you be motivated to pray them if you did not know about those hadith? How? Seek knowledge. And that is the core. And I know, I know I've been a broken record about seeking knowledge, but wallahi, it is critical and essential. In this situation, seek knowledge because the more knowledge you have, inshallah, the better understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you believe his words, then the less attached you will be to this life and the more attached you will be to the hereafter, then the better motivation you're going to have when it comes to act, you know, the acts of worship. The formula is simple. Now, doing so is not, it takes time, but it's wallahi not that hard. Just gain knowledge from authentic sources, of course, and, and let it happen like that. Believe in Allah's words. Have a less and think about this life as it's really temporary. Nothing in this life matters, except for your deeds, of course. How you treat, how do you treat your family matters. How you treat your spouse matters. How you treat your children matters. How you pray in this life for the hereafter matters. How you fast in this life. How you pay zakat in this life to people in this life. So that's when I what I mean by utilizing and using this life to get safely to the hereafter does that mean do not go on trips with your family members or your buddies or in a halal way of course no it doesn't you can enjoy life but do not let life distract you from your goal which is the hereafter so i hope that answered your questions thank you so much for listening wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh